All right, so tonight uh, we're going to continue our study in Genesis, but uh, we have a few loose ends to tie up uh, from the, our last couple of classes. Uh, so first, uh, I want to go back to the creation uh, and provision of the woman for the man uh, for just, just a little bit because we have to address uh, verse 24 where Moses applies it to the Israelites uh, concerning marriage. Uh, and then... After that, I'd like to briefly review uh, the serpent's temptation of the woman uh, and then uh, look at the, the aftermath of that temptation with the, the first sin. Uh, and so then we'll, we'll focus more on verses 6 and 7, chapter 3. And so let's just read uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 18 uh, through the end, uh, and then we'll focus on verse 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she was taken out of man, Ish. Therefore, a man, Ish, shall leave his father and his mother uh, and hold fast to his wife, Isha, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed uh, and so uh, here uh, God made the man uh, a perfect counterpart uh, for him uh, one who is a helper as his counterpart or complement uh, and unlike the uh, creation of man and the formation of the animals uh, God uh, didn't take her from the ground but she took her from the, the side of the man uh, so that uh, she shares uh, in his humanity. Uh, there's only one human race, uh, all going uh, back uh, to, uh, to the first man. Uh, but uh, as his counterpart, she's both like him and different from him. Uh, so uh, although she shares in his humanity, she's not made male, she's made female. Uh, she's his, uh, his other half, uh, and she fills and completes and perfects uh, what he's lacking, uh, and he fills and completes and perfects what, uh, what she's lacking. Uh, and so uh, she's uh, his other half taken from his side uh, and then rejoins him uh, in a marriage uh, in which they form a, a permanent, a lifelong a bond uh, of, of marriage. Uh, and this is where uh, Moses picks up in verse uh, 24, applying it to the Israelites. 
uh, saying, therefore, uh, because, of, because of what uh, has just happened in this account of God's creation, uh, and also the man just saying, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken from man. He draws uh, this lesson for the Israelites. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and so Moses, uh, just like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, the apostles and prophets, was very concerned about uh, marriage uh, and the importance of marriage uh, for, uh, for their lives. Uh, and really, uh, if you think about marriage, uh, we see here that it's grounded in God's very good design, purpose, and order uh, for uh, his creation. Uh, and so uh, marriage is tied to God's creation mandate and blessing uh, for uh, humanity, uh, that they would be fruitful and multiply uh, and fill the earth. Uh, and for this reason, because it's grounded in creation, uh, it's applicable to the Israelites, uh, to believers today, uh, and also to uh, all people, all of humanity uh, that, that God uh, has, has made. Now, notice uh, that in verse 24, uh, we see three actions. Uh, the first, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Uh, the second is that he shall hold fast to his wife. And the third, uh, the result, is that they shall become one flesh. I'd like to look at uh, each of these, uh, just one by one, uh, beginning with the first. Uh, the, the meaning, what does it mean uh, that a man shall leave his father and mother? Uh, and I'd like to start about talking about what it doesn't mean because it could be uh, very badly uh, misunderstood and then we, we really won't understand it uh, properly. So first, it does not mean uh, that the man uh, takes his wife uh, and necessarily moves to a completely new physical geographical location uh, far away from his parents uh, and just leaves them, takes, takes off, uh, sets, sets right out of town. Uh, because actually more typically uh, for the uh, Israelites and in their culture, typically, not always, uh, but typically a bride uh, would move away from her family uh, and join to the, the man uh, into uh, his, his family, uh, his, his near uh, and extended relatives. Uh, and so just for example, we, we could give many examples, but uh, if you've read about when uh, uh, Abraham had a son, Isaac, through Sarah. Uh, and toward the end of his life, he was concerned about his son finding a wife so that God's uh, promises to Abraham uh, that uh, through his offspring, uh, the, the blessing would come to, uh, to Abraham and uh, to uh, his descendants and to all the nations. Uh, it was through Isaac uh, that the, the blessing would come. And so uh, it was important that he found him a wife. Uh, so he uh, sent his uh, trusty servant uh, from the land of Canaan, which would later become known as Israel, uh, north to Haran, uh, the, the land where Abraham originally came.
came from, that God called him out of. Uh, and he told his servant, uh, whatever you do, uh, go up there and find a wife, but do not bring Isaac uh, back there uh, because God had called him out into the promised land, uh, the promised land of Canaan. Uh, and so the servant went uh, and took Rebekah and brought her back. Uh, and then uh, she uh, married uh, Isaac. And they, he, he continued to uh, live uh, in the, the same uh, region uh, as, uh, as his parents and to be associated with them. Uh, and this was the same, uh, same is true for Jacob's 12 sons and their, uh, their families. And we, we could give many, many examples uh, but uh, Matthews uh, discusses uh, this meaning uh, of leaving and what, what it doesn't mean. Uh, he says, Our passage cannot mean that a man is not married unless he departs his father's house. Uh, it was customary in Israel for a man to remain, not leave his father's household. Uh, this is best illustrated by Jacob's family, whose sons remained under their father's influence despite the founding of their own families and wealth. Although the sons are subject to their father's wishes, they also exercise some freedom and maintain their own household identity as shown by Reuben's authority over the life and death of his sons. A Hebrew custom rather called for the wife to join the house of her husband. Uh, he gives examples of Rebecca in chapter 24 and Tamar in 38. Uh, in fact, the law assumed a woman remained under the auspices of her husband's family even after her husband's death. Uh, the Eden narrative does not suggest that before the fall in chapter 3, men were ideally to leave their family for the woman's. Uh, which subsequently was reversed as a result of the fall. Uh, the judgment oracles do not speak to this, and uh, it is best to view the reference uh, to man's leaving as a due to his priority in the narrative. Therefore, leave here uh, is metaphorical rather than literal. Uh, it was the woman who actually left her father's house, uh, although sometimes a, a man could, could leave, and uh, Jacob temporarily uh, left to, uh, to live with Laban and to serve a certain amount of time there, but ultimately he wanted to return to, uh, to his family, and Laban uh, tricked him. Uh, and so it, it does not mean uh, necessarily uh, moving far away to, uh, to a distant land or a new geographical location. Uh, it also does not mean uh, a complete severing of one's relationship, uh, obligations, and care uh, for one's uh, parents, uh, for one's mother and father. Uh, and we could give uh, many examples again throughout the, the Old Testament, uh, but I have just a couple New Testament passages that reflect the, the same, same worldview and teaching of uh, the Old Testament. And so Jesus, in Mark uh, 7, uh, he rebukes the Pharisees uh, for some of their practices that prevented uh, sons and daughters for uh, caring for their uh, parents. And he says in verse 9, 
and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void uh, the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Uh, and so uh, they'd say, Korban, uh, devoted to God, uh, and then their, their property would be devoted to God, and they might even be able to uh, keep it uh, for a long time, maybe until, until death, but because it's devoted to God, uh, then they couldn't use their property uh, to help uh, their mother or father, because it, it belongs to God. Uh, sorry, Mom and Dad. Uh, and so here uh, we see uh, that they were still had had responsibility to care for their uh, parents, maybe in their their old uh, old age, uh, as they needed help. Uh, and uh, the apostle Paul talks about this in First Timothy chapter five, uh, when he talks about uh, widows, uh, and he says, uh, "Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren." Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return uh, to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And so if you're dealing with someone who's really uh, a widow, uh, whose husband has died, uh, he doesn't want the church to be burdened, over overburdened. Yes, care for the widows, but if they have children or grandchildren, well, children should, should care for uh, for their parents and make some return for all that their parents uh, invested in uh, in them. Uh, and in fact, a little bit later, uh, Paul says, uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Uh, and so that shows just how serious uh, of an issue it was uh, for people to uh, provide for uh, their their own household. Uh, and so it does not mean necessarily uh, moving uh, far away from, from your parents. Uh, and it doesn't mean uh, completely severing one's uh, responsibilities and relationship uh, toward uh, your mother and father. So... We know what it doesn't mean, uh, but now let's uh, look at what it, it does uh, mean. So he says, therefore, a man shall leave uh, his father and his mother and hold fast uh, to his wife. And uh, this leaving shows that there's a, a change. Uh, there's a, a discontinuity, a, a break uh, in uh, one's relationship and obligations and priorities uh, toward uh, one's parents. Uh, so uh, when you're raised uh, by your parents and live in their uh, household, uh, then your primary duty uh, is to uh, respect and serve uh, and honor uh, your uh, parents, uh, your, your own uh, flesh, flesh and blood uh, as you're raised and uh, live in their, their household. But uh, when you marry, 
uh, there's a change in your relationship uh, in priorities. It's no longer uh, the same. You no longer have all the same obligations to your parents uh, that you did uh, previously. Uh, but uh, your uh, primary obligations and responsibilities uh, are now uh, to, uh, to, to your wife. Uh, if you're a man leaving uh, your mother and father and cleaving to your wife, uh, but if you're a woman, uh, then your, your primary obligations are to your uh, husband. Uh, and if you think about this, this idea of uh, leaving uh, one's uh, mother and father, uh, it's actually pretty extraordinary uh, because the, the, the bonds between uh, mothers and fathers and children uh, are very uh, strong. Uh, they share in their, their own flesh and blood. Uh, and this was particularly so in a culture like uh, Israel uh, and with the teaching that they had from, from Scripture. And so uh, we can just give the, the fifth commandment, for example, uh, of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Uh, and the Ten Commandments are basically broken up where the, the first four uh, deal with one's uh, relationship uh, toward God uh, in the last six have to do with one's relationship toward uh, your fellow man. Uh, in the, the fifth, which is the, the first of the ones dealing with one's relationship uh, toward your fellow man, uh, is honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God, your God is giving you. And that's Exodus 20, uh, Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Again, uh, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, and in fact, uh, as Jesus said, the, the penalty uh, was so great for, for dishonoring uh, mother and father uh, that in Exodus 21, verse 15, uh, God said, uh, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put uh, to death uh, because it, it, it tore really at the very fabric uh, of society uh, in the structure that God had established uh, for, uh, for families and for uh, children and, and all of, of society. And so uh, in all of God's creation, there, humanly speaking, there's practically no bond uh, greater uh, than the bond between uh, parents and uh, children. Uh, it's parents who uh, conceive and give birth to and uh, nurture and uh, raise up uh, their uh, children and they live in their own household and uh, they share in the, the same uh, flesh and blood. And so uh, Matthew uh, Henry, uh, in his uh, commentary on the whole Bible, uh, he says, uh, See here how great the virtue of a divine ordinance is. Uh, he's talking about God's divine ordinance that a man shall leave uh, his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Uh, the bonds of it are stronger even than those of nature. Uh, to whom uh, can we be more firmly bound than the fathers that begat us and the mothers that bore us? Yet the son must quit them uh, to be joined to his wife, and the daughter forget them to cleave uh, to her husband. 
but of course he doesn't mean forget utterly where you just don't remember your parents or remember their names or uh, anything like that but there's a serious uh, leaving there's a serious uh, change in break uh, in one's responsibilities and so the, the bond between husband and wife is even uh, greater than one's uh, bond uh, to one's uh, parents and that's why Moses speaks about it as leaving uh, one's uh, mother and father uh, and you, you could say uh, when, uh, when you get married, uh, then you have to uh, cut the apron strings of uh, mother, mother and father uh, and cleave uh, to uh, your wife. Or if you're a woman, you're your husband. All right. Uh, and so now we've seen that a man shall leave uh, his father uh, and his mother. But uh, then he says... Uh, and he shall hold fast uh, to his wife. Uh, and this word often has the idea of, of uh, clinging uh, to something, uh, fastening oneself to an object, uh, or sticking uh, to, uh, to something. Uh, and really, it's the same language that's used for the Israelites. Uh, and God says uh, that they should uh, cling to uh, Yahweh, uh, their their God, uh, and so it's often used as, as may, many scholars say, uh, is covenantal language and for their uh, their relationship uh, to uh, to God. Uh, but here it's apply, applied to the man uh, in relation to his wife. Uh, in the dictionary of biblical languages, Hebrew uh, says, uh, "Be united, joined." Uh, that is, uh, be in a close association. Uh, implying a normal, continuing uh, relationship. And so this is uh, being uh, close to one's uh, wife uh, in the, the very bond of, of marriage. And so uh, in, in marriage, uh, a man is not to uh, let go of his wife, uh, but he's to uh, hold fast to her. Uh, it's a permanent, lasting uh, bond. Uh, as I recall from the, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, till death uh, do us part, uh, they, they say. Uh, Matthews, uh, he, he draws these two ideas of, of leaving uh, one's parents and uh, cleaving uh, to one's wife uh, together. Uh, he says, uh, the significance of the language leave is that marriage involves a new pledge uh, to a spouse uh, in which former familial commitments are superseded. A marriage requires a new priority by the marital partners, where obligations to one's spouse supplant a person's parental loyalties. Uh, illustrative of this pledge is Ruth's earnest desire to remain uh, with Naomi. And he gives a, a couple uh, examples. If you remem remember, uh, Naomi, I believe, or Ruth was a, a Moabite, uh, Moabitess. Uh, and uh, she married uh, one of Naomi's sons, and so she joined with that family. Uh, but the son died, uh, but even though he died, uh, she was now uh, belonged to his family and wouldn't leave Naomi. Uh, and she also uh, became a believer uh, in uh, the, God, the God of Israel. And so uh, Ruth, it says, uh, Ruth clung to her. Uh, she clung uh, to, to Naomi. Uh, and she also uh, said, 
uh, don't urge me to leave you. And so we, we have the, the same language of, of uh, clinging and, and leaving. Uh, and so uh, now she, she's bonded to, uh, to uh, his family. Uh, and uh, uh, the man's to be uh, bonded and joined and united uh, with uh, his, his wife. And so uh, his responsibilities, duties, and obligations uh, toward his parents uh, are no longer uh, his chief concern about his duties and obligations and priorities uh, toward uh, his, his wife. And so uh, his loyalty toward his wife uh, supersedes his loyalty uh, toward his parents. Uh, and his marital fidelity comes before his filial uh, fidelity. Uh, filial uh, referring to one's uh, relationship toward uh, one's parents. And so uh, he is to be committed to his wife uh, above all other uh, human uh, relationships. Uh, and so uh, we've seen a uh, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Uh, and then uh, Moses says, and they shall become a one flesh. Uh, this speaks of their uh, unity uh, in marriage. Uh, Moses now talks about them uh, as if they're uh, one uh, body, uh, like being uh, one uh, person uh, united in marriage. Uh, now uh, their two lives are uh, knit and, and bound up uh, to uh, one another. Uh, and a wife belongs to her husband, uh, and a husband belongs uh, to his, uh, his wife. And as uh, Matthew says, uh, they're not individuals uh, who uh, live uh, for themselves and depend only upon uh, themselves, uh, but they live uh, for and depend on uh, one uh, another. And so uh, Matthews uh, says, uh, also uh, marriage involves the two united in commitment. Uh, two parties are bound by stipulations, forming a new entity uh, or relationship. Uh, the two people, although freed from their parents, are not isolated or independent. Uh, they become dependent and responsible toward one another. One flesh echoes the language of verse 23, which speaks of the woman's source in the man. Uh, here it depicts the consequence of their bonding, uh, which results uh, in one, a new uh, person. Uh, and so reflecting back, uh, she was taken from the man's side. And so she's his other half, his counterpart. Uh, and then the, the two halves uh, form, uh, form a, a whole uh, in, in marriage. Uh, in this uh, permanent bond uh, between uh, one man and one woman, uh, is it's grounded in God's good uh, purpose uh, for a creation, uh, all the way uh, back to the, the beginning uh, of creation. Uh, and we see this uh, very strongly from the, the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, uh, when he uh, rebukes the Pharisees, concerning their uh, really lax views of divorce and uh, their abuse of uh, the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, and he uh, said, 
Uh, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Uh, and so he quotes this passage uh, as God speaking, because scripture uh, is God uh, speaking. And he says, uh, what God has joined together, uh, let no man uh, separate. Uh, and so it's, it's God himself uh, who joins uh, a man and a woman uh, together uh, in a marriage. Uh, and that's why it's so egregious for anyone uh, to uh, separate or destroy uh, a marriage uh, or uh, to distort uh, God's uh, institution of marriage. Uh, which was his very first uh, institution for, uh, for humanity. Uh, and then let, let me just uh, read a short passage uh, from a, an essay that I wrote uh, from uh, Ephesians uh, 5, uh, on Paul's teaching about, about marriage. Uh, and then I'd just like to make a couple, couple more comments, and then, then we can get into our, our other passage. So, uh, a man and a woman, uh, when they are married, dissolve the powerful paternal bonds of father and mother and form a profound new unity, a one flesh union. On this basis, Paul instructs the Ephesians to self sacrificially love their wives as their own bodies, even as Christ loved the church. Uh, Paul's instruction is planted firmly in the bedrock of creation and the eternal uh, purposes of God. And so um, marriage was uh, decreed uh, and created by God in the beginning uh, for his glory uh, and for uh, the, the blessing and flourishing of a mankind. Uh, and that's why uh, we must heed uh, what God says uh, about uh, marriage, uh, lest we be uh, swept away by the, the tides of culture where uh, everyone does uh, what's right uh, in their, their own eyes, uh, or uh, lest we do what's, uh, what's right in our own uh, sinful hearts. Uh, and then finally, I, I just wanted to point out there is uh, a relationship that supersedes uh, that of, uh, of marriage and uh, one man and one woman. Uh, and that's uh, one's uh, relationship to God uh, and that's Christ's uh, relationship to the church uh, of which a marriage is just a finite uh, temporal uh, picture. Uh, it's a permanent bond but it's permanent uh, in this life uh, till death uh, do us uh, part. Uh, and we could look at that passage uh, in, in Ephesians, but let me just quote what uh, Jesus says in Luke uh, 14, 
uh, verses 25 through 27. Uh, he said, uh, or uh, Luke uh, said, uh, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and, turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, and then in verse 33 says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Uh, and so, in comparison uh, to one's love and commitment to Christ, uh, it's as if one hated one's own uh, mother and father and wife and brothers and sisters uh, and even uh, one's self. Uh, he's saying, uh, you have to deny yourself uh, and follow me. Uh, give up everything uh, to follow me. Uh, and for many uh, in ancient Israel and throughout history, uh, they were rejected by their own families uh, when they, they came to uh, believe in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, they had to choose them uh, even over uh, their, uh, their own wife or husband or uh, parents. And not because they really uh, hated them. In fact, if one follows Christ, uh, they should love their uh, parents and uh, spouses and children uh, even uh, all, the, all the more. But uh, in comparison... Uh, one must uh, hate them uh, that your your love is so so great for for Christ and commitment and so uh, we finally tied up our loose ends uh, on uh, verse twenty four with god 's creation and provision of the the woman uh, and this brings us back now to uh, yahweh god 's banishment of the man and the woman from the garden, uh, looking uh, first at the the temptation. Uh, the serpent's temptation of the woman, uh, and then the man and the woman's uh, sin. And so I'd just like to read uh, through uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, and then just briefly review uh, the, the dialogue between the serpent and the woman and focus on uh, verses 6 and 7 with their sin. So beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So now beginning in in verse 1, Moses introduced the serpent uh, and characterized him as crafty. Uh, And so as Matthew said, uh, this should show the reader uh, to pay very careful attention to what the the serpent says uh, in the following verses. So he said, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Uh, And then uh, the the serpent uh, initiated dialogue with the the woman, uh, beginning with uh, what seemed like an innocent, innocuous question. uh, But really, uh, he was uh, contradicting God, denying his provision and absolutizing uh, his prohibition, uh, as if he had denied them every tree in the garden. Uh, And his plan uh, was... Uh, to make the woman begin to question and doubt and confuse uh, what God had actually said and to draw and fixate her attention on the, the, the prohibition uh, to begin to, to desire it. So he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, and then the, the woman uh, corrected this uh, partially Uh, But she ended up distorting uh, God's word. Uh, First, she understated God's good provision for them uh, in the garden. Uh, Then she called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the tree that is in the midst of the garden. uh, As if there was only one tree in the midst of the garden. uh, Completely ignoring and forgetting about the tree of life uh, that God had placed there uh, for them. Then thirdly, she added to God's prohibition, uh, saying you shall not touch it. God didn't say that. Uh, And she understated the consequences uh, of sin. Uh, And in this way, uh, she focused on what God had prohibited uh, more than what he had provided uh, for them. So verses 2 and 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, "Uh, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then uh, the the serpent, uh, in his his final uh, utterance, uh, he saw that the woman uh, didn't totally accurately uh, handle uh, God's word, and that uh, she was focusing more on the, the prohibition. And so this is where he took his, his opportunity to contradict God uh, boldly. Uh, and he denied the negative consequences of sin. Uh, and then he stated that the consequences of sin uh, would actually benefit them, that they'd be advantageous, something that they, they actually want. So verses 4 and 5. Uh, but the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so a God had created them in his image after his likeness. He had already made them uh, to be like him. Uh, But the the serpent uh, promises 
more. He's really saying you'll be just like God and you'll have the one thing that God has kept from you uh, and that belongs to God and God alone. And that's the knowledge uh, of good uh, and evil uh, that God uh, reveals to his creatures uh, by his word. They had his word, uh, but now uh, they're going to become independent and autonomous uh, from God and do what's right in their own eyes. And so uh, we have seen uh, how the the serpent tempted uh, the woman by his craftiness, uh, causing a doubt and confusion in her uh, concerning God's word. Uh, And now uh, Moses uh, recounts the the immediate aftermath uh, of the the, the serpent tempting uh, the the woman, uh, which leads to her sin and uh, their subsequent awareness of their uh, nakedness, uh, and then the, the rest of the chapter uh, will lead to their uh, God's questioning of them, his judgment, uh, and their banishment uh, from uh, the garden. And so uh, the serpent contradicted God, and the question is, who is the ultimate judge and arbiter uh, of uh, their dispute? Uh, one has said one thing, uh, the other has said another. Uh, will, uh, will God uh, resolve it? Will, will, will Eve listen to God? Uh, how about the serpent? Uh, or uh, will Eve uh, act independently uh, of, of God and make herself uh, the ultimate judge? So uh, verse 6, uh, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who is with her, and he ate. And so uh, here, uh, Moses uh, recounts the the result of the serpent's temptation. Uh, He got to the woman, uh, and the words are very simple uh, and succinct, uh, leading to the first sin. Uh, There are just three actions, Uh, She saw, she took, she ate, uh, leading uh, to uh, to her sin. Uh, And then two more, uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Uh, And really, uh, each line uh, gets, leading to her eating, it gets shorter. It goes from longer uh, to shorter. Uh, I think it draws, it, it delays it and draws all the more attention uh, to her eating, which was the one thing that was prohibited uh, by, uh, by God, uh, saying in the day that you eat of it, uh, you will uh, surely uh, die. Now notice that the woman uh, observed uh, three things uh, about the, the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil uh, leading to her uh, taking from it and, and eating First, uh, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was also a delight to the eyes. And thirdly, uh, she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she saw it as a source of food, uh, a source of beauty, uh, and a source of uh, wisdom. Uh, And the wisdom is really the central issue because the serpent promised uh, if you eat from it, uh, then you will be like God, uh, knowing 
uh, good and evil, uh, knowing good and evil independently from God. And so what's wrong uh, with this picture? Well, uh, first, uh, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. God gave them the trees that were good for food. Uh, if you remember uh, in the previous chapter, uh, verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. He gave them every tree they could ever need or want uh, for their uh, their nourishment uh, in the, the garden. And so uh, God never made this tree to be good for food. That's not what it was put in the garden for. Uh, it was the one tree that God prohibited. Uh, he said in verse uh, 17, uh, chapter 2, Above the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, she was desiring the one tree that God prohibited. He gave them the trees that were good uh, for food. Uh, and second, uh, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. Well, God gave them the trees that were a delight to the eyes. Uh, he gave them every tree that is pleasant uh, to the sight. All the beautiful trees, all the aesthetically uh, pleasing trees. And so uh, they didn't need any more. The, the garden was full uh, of, of beauty uh, and delightful, splendid things to look at. Uh, and this uh, was the one tree, again, that God prohibited. Uh, and so she was desiring what a God uh, had uh, prohibited. Uh, and then third, uh, uh, most importantly, uh, she saw that the tree uh, was to be desired uh, to make uh, one wise. Uh, and this was the, the serpent's uh, promise. Uh, but God did not give them this tree uh, to be good for food, uh, to be a delight to the eyes, uh, or uh, to make one wise. Uh, he gave them uh, his word uh, and by following his word, uh, they uh, would be wise. Uh, if they followed his word uh, and trusted him, uh, then they would enjoy God's continuous provision uh, of all the trees that were good for food uh, and pleasing to the sight uh, and the, the tree of life uh, through which uh, he would continue to sustain them uh, and they would live uh, in God's uh, presence with fullness of, of joy and, and beauty uh, and, and delight. And so he gave them his word uh, by which they would be wise. Uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, he, he said, uh, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so how is something that God forbids and that kills you uh, when you eat from it good for food? How is something that God forbids and kills you uh, that when you eat from it, a delight to the eyes. And how is something that God forbids and that kills you when you eat from it good to make one wise? Uh, rebellion against God is absolutely foolishness. Uh, it's completely irrational. Uh, there's nothing good, uh, beautiful, uh, or wise uh, about, uh, about this tree and uh, eating from it. And so uh, it's obvious that Eve bought the, the serpent's lie. Uh, she 
Uh, she wanted to be just like God and to, to have a knowledge that, that belongs uh, only uh, to God. Uh, and here, uh, what God called evil, disobedience uh, against God, uh, she called uh, good, uh, beautiful, and wise. And so it just shows how, how irrational uh, sin uh, is and uh, her uh, evil uh, desire uh, to be like God uh, that's what leads uh, to her sin. Uh, just like James says uh, in the New Testament, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, and so she was lured and enticed by her desire uh, to be uh, like uh, God uh, in a way that God uh, never, uh, never allowed. And uh, this desire uh, conceived and gave birth uh, to sin. And so uh, we, we see uh, verses uh, six, or verse 6. Uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her uh, and he uh, ate. Uh, and so uh, we see here that the, the man... Uh, participated uh, in her sin. Uh, and this is the first time that uh, Moses introduces uh, Adam uh, into this new scene uh, since the, the serpent has uh, come on the, the stage. Uh, and remember that we discussed uh, where was Adam uh, while uh, the, the serpent uh, and the woman uh, were talking uh, we knew that at the very least, uh, he's probably somewhere near uh, by. Uh, because uh, shortly after uh, she speaks with the, the serpent, he deceives her. Uh, it says she uh, took and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who is with her, and uh, he ate. Uh, and so uh, we said, uh, at the very least, he's somewhere nearby, and he... he possibly could have been standing with her. But uh, despite the, the ambiguities about the man's location, uh, Moses is very clear uh, that the woman was deceived by the serpent, not the man. Uh, and the man uh, listened to the voice uh, of his wife. Uh, she, she gave to him, uh, and he uh, ate. Uh, and we'll see as we look at God's, uh, when he finds them and questions them and judges them, uh, he will uh, judge each one based off, off of, uh, in large measure, uh, whom they uh, tempted. And so the man uh, will blame the woman. Uh, the woman will blame the serpent. Uh, and God uh, will judge the serpent for deceiving the woman, saying, because you have done this. Uh, he will judge the woman, uh, seems implicitly, for, for tempting the man. Uh, and then the man... Uh, for listening to the voice of his wife and eating from the tree that God forbid. Uh, and so in verse 17, uh, God says, 
Unto Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, And so he wasn't deceived uh, by the serpent, but he listened uh, to the voice of his wife uh, and he uh, disobeyed uh, God. And so uh, the both of them uh, sinned. Uh, And now uh, let's uh, see what the the immediate aftermath is uh, of uh, their uh, sin. In verse uh, 7. And uh, ask yourself, uh, were their eyes opened? uh, And did they become like God, uh, knowing uh, good uh, and evil? So let's read in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Uh, And so uh, this result of eating from the forbidden tree uh, is actually uh, somewhat surprising. Uh, The the serpent uh, told them uh, that uh, they would be like God, uh, knowing good and evil. Their eyes would be open. But here it says, uh, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Uh, And so... uh, we, we see here both the immediate result uh, that they knew that they were naked uh, and then their immediate response to that knowledge. Uh, they sewed uh, fig leaves together uh, and made themselves uh, loincloths. And this really isn't exactly what the serpent promised them, uh, is it? Uh, there, there's there's a, a grain of truth uh, to what the, the serpent said uh, as there often is, uh, he likes to plant a little bit of truth in there to make the, the poison pill uh, a little easier to swallow. Um, and so there, there's a grain of truth because in uh, Genesis uh, 3, verse 22, uh, we see that, that the Lord God will say, uh, perhaps uh, somewhat ironically, uh, the Lord God said, uh, Behold, the man has become like one of us. In knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live uh, forever. Uh, And this this might be slightly tongue-in-cheek because, well, yeah, the man has kind of become like like God, but uh, not not really. They they can't really become uh, just like God uh, because uh, man is a created being. Uh, God God isn't. God does not die, uh, but man dies. Uh, We'll see. He's going to return to the the dust uh, and die. Uh, Also, God does not need to eat from the the fruit of a tree to uh, continue to live and sustain his life. Uh, And God doesn't learn a good and evil. Uh, He doesn't have to ask anyone uh, what's a good and evil, but uh, he already uh, knows it. Uh, And then finally, uh, God does not experience a guilt, a fear, uh, and shame uh, because he's holy and and perfectly good. Uh, And so there's only a grain of truth uh, to what the serpent says uh, that they will be like uh, like God. Uh, But the serpent did not tell them uh, that when their eyes were opened, uh, they would become conscious uh, of their nakedness uh, and experience a guilt and shame uh, for uh, for their sin. And so verse 7 again, uh, when they ate of the tree, uh, their eyes 
uh, the, the eyes of both, uh, or he didn't tell them that uh, their eyes would be opened uh, and they would know uh, that they were naked. And so uh, before uh, the, the temptation, uh, right before it, at the, the end of chapter 2, with God's creation and provision, uh, verse 25, it read, uh, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so this is uh, reflecting uh, back uh, to what had been said, that they were uh, naked and not ashamed. Uh, it's because as a husband and a wife, they didn't have any reason to, to be ashamed. Uh, they had not sinned or violated any of God's uh, commandments. Uh, they did not have any evil desires uh, whatsoever. Uh, they were free to uh, enjoy God's good provision uh, without fear of sin, guilt, uh, condemnation, or, or death. Uh, and they were innocent, pure, undefiled by uh, by sin, and so uh, they had no reason to be uh, ashamed uh, for uh, for for their nakedness, and so it's kind of a picture of their their innocence. Uh, but now uh, they are naked and ashamed uh, of it, uh, and that's because now uh, they're guilty. Uh, their sin has pricked uh, their guilty uh, conscious consciences, uh, and they. They deserve the, the very penalty of death for uh, rebelling against God. Uh, and so uh, it says that they knew uh, that they were naked. The eyes of both were opened and they, they knew that they were naked. Uh, the, the serpent uh, has finally uh, robbed them and beguiled them uh, of their, their innocence using his uh, craftiness. Uh, and not only have they become independent of God uh, in doing whatever's right in their, their own eyes, but now they have an experiential knowledge uh, of sin uh, and all that comes along with it. Uh, shame, guilt, condemnation, uh, alienation, uh, and the fear uh, that comes with sinning and rebelling uh, against uh, God. And how, how can sinners uh, stand uh, before uh, an infinitely holy, a uh, very good uh, God? And that's something we've seen very clearly from the creation account and God's good creation and provision uh, again and again and again. Uh, everything that God made was good uh, because he is uh, perfectly good. Uh, and what's their response to their uh, newfound uh Awareness of their nakedness uh, and the, the shame and guilt uh, that they experience while they feebly try to, to cover and hide uh, their, uh, their shame uh, and guilt and disgrace. And so uh, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, loincloths. Uh, and uh, as in the, the IVP uh, Bible, uh, background commentary, uh, just talking about uh, these fig leaves, uh, they say uh, fig leaves are the largest uh, are the largest found in Canaan and could uh, provide a limited covering for the shamed a couple. So they're, they're, they're the, the largest uh, leaves in the, the land of uh, Canaan. Uh, and even then, even then, uh, for the largest leaves, they're still not that impressive 
uh, and would it have made the, the very greatest uh, covering for their uh, nakedness and uh, shame and guilt uh, before, uh, before God. Uh, and uh, again, they, they, were, uh, they were naked and not ashamed, but uh, now uh, they, they try to uh, cover, uh, cover their guilt uh, because they have uh, traded their loyalty, their loyalty to God uh, for dissent. Uh, they have traded their innocence uh, for guilt. Uh, they have traded their purity for shame uh, and their nakedness uh, for uh, fig leaves. Uh, fig leaves uh, cannot uh, restore uh, their uh, innocence. Uh, and we'll even see uh, in uh, verse 21 uh, that uh, you'll say that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins uh, and clothed them. Uh, and so he's going to have to clothe them uh, with something uh, much more uh, substantial. And I think we see here uh, the, the first uh, implicit uh, sacrifice. And so uh, Matthews uh, says, uh, tying some of this together, uh, he says, uh, instead of knowing good and evil, uh, the couple now know that they are naked. Uh, this is hardly the knowledge for which they bargained. Uh, what was formerly understood to be a sign uh, of a healthy relationship uh, between the man and the woman has now become something unpleasant and filled with shame. Uh, then he goes on a little later. Uh, the couple's solution to this new enigma is freighted with folly. Having committed the sin themselves and now living with its immediate consequences, uh, that is, uh, the experience of shame, the loss of innocence, uh, they were aware that they were naked. Uh, they attempt to alleviate the problem themselves. Rather than driving them back to God, their guilt leads them into a self-atoning, self-protecting procedure. Uh, they must cover themselves. And then a little bit later he says, uh, the man and the woman are successful in hiding their nakedness from each other, but that does not exonerate them uh, from their sin of disobedience. Uh, uh, and so uh, why uh, did they sin? Uh, we, we basically covered it uh, last week, but very uh, succinctly. Uh, they were first not satisfied uh, with God's uh, good provision uh, for them. Uh, secondly, uh, they desired the one thing uh, that God uh, had forbidden, uh, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and really uh, to be like God, uh, knowing uh, good and evil. Uh, and third, uh, they miscalculated uh, the consequences uh, of sin, uh, not believing that would really result uh, in their uh, death. Uh, and fourthly and finally, uh, they disbelieved uh, God uh, and his uh, word. Uh, and we'll talk about more. I mean, that's the, really the, the heart of the issue, that they disbelieved uh, the word of God. Uh, did God really say? That's what the, uh, the serpent asked, and that's really uh, the, the central uh, issue that led uh, to their unbelief. And as uh, Matthew says, uh, instead of driving them back to God, uh, their guilt leads them uh, into a self-atoning, self-protecting procedure. Uh, they must cover uh, them, 
selves. And as we read along, uh, we'll see the, the folly uh, of this and just how uh, inadequate it is uh, and see that, uh, that God himself uh, will cover them. Uh, I think even foreshadowing uh, the, the sacrifices that are to come. And, uh, the, I think that the Israelites would see that with their own uh, sacrificial system, uh, which would uh, foreshadow uh, the ultimate sacrifice uh, of uh, God's uh, anointed king, his uh, glorious and uh, suffering servant who uh, came to, uh, to bear, uh, bear our sins and uh, our iniquity uh, because uh, in Adam, after Adam sinned, uh, the entire human race was plunged into uh, sin uh, and guilt and condemnation uh, and death. Uh, and it's only uh, through Christ, uh, through the second Adam uh, and his sacrificial work on the cross and his perfect life uh, that uh, God can then uh, forgive, uh, forgive uh, our sins and uh, clothe us uh, in his righteousness uh, and remove our sins uh, through the, the sacrifice uh, of his uh, one and only son. And so we will be looking uh, at that uh, much more uh, in the, the weeks to come, uh, Lord willing, as we uh, see uh, the, uh, the, 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 the promise uh, of, of sorts of the, the, the coming uh, seed and offspring of the, the woman. And so uh, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and uh, for being able to gather together and to uh, study your word and uh, to be able to uh, look at uh, just a whole wide range of issues uh, tonight uh, concerning uh, your wisdom and creating man, male and female, uh, and uh, your uh, creation of uh, marriage as a uh, a blessing for uh, for your creatures and uh, for for our flourishing and, and our good uh, and also uh, we're not thankful that uh, the man and the woman sinned and rebelled against you uh, but uh, that you would uh, reveal to us and uh, show us uh, why there is sin in the world uh, and why uh, we bear sin and guilt and condemnation and the world is full of evil and violence and so that we could understand our need uh, for a savior, uh, our need for uh, your son uh, who uh, redeems us if we uh, turn from our sins and put our faith and trust in him. And, uh, you're even the one who uh, grants us uh, repentance and faith and uh, apart from you, uh, we would we would never repent and uh, never believe. And so, I thank you for your salvation and pray that you would uh, open the eyes of the blind and uh, that you'd cause the the deaf to hear uh, and to uh, understand these truths and uh, to recognize uh, our need for for salvation through your Son. And we uh, thank you for these things and pray that they would all be to your honor and glory. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen.